1: Alex, I'd like to share a little secret with the listeners, and with you, I guess. You don't know this—a rarity. Well, you kind of do know this. Okay. But the secret is that, um, the business of podcasting is an imperfect science. Mm-hmm. Last week uh, was our first episode, uh, you know, of our big "what ifs" with Grant Brisby. Uh, we talked to him about we talked to him about what if Joan Crock was able to give the San Diego Padres. To the city of San Diego, he talked about what if Randy Johnson had actually signed with the Atlanta Braves when he was drafted out of high school by the Braves in the 1980s. Um, And that, that whole episode, I was just calling them baseball's biggest what ifs because I hadn't thought of a better title, which was baseball butterfly effects, which, in my opinion, sounds better and is more memorable and is catchier. And so, do you know what I did? I just changed the title before I went live. I just, that's without, your prerogative. Without man. signaling that that's what I was going to call it in the episode at all. <laughs> and calling it a different thing many times in the episode. I just changed it because, you know what? We make the rules. We do. Um, we follow a standard that only we can set. And well, I suppose and, the tipping pitches patrons, if they really
2: hated baseball butterfly effects, we would go back to baseball what ifs. But right. Well, luckily, we don't have to deal with that too much longer because today is the final episode <laughs> of baseball butterfly effects. Well, the final for now, I guess. We, yes. could, re- we, could, we could keep this idea rolling. Absolutely. If, if
1: more people hear it and want to come and share their baseball butterfly effect, or maybe if the tipping pitches patrons or just Tipping pitches listeners want to call into our voicemail or email us and let us know who they would want us to talk to as part of this
2: ongoing series. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be over. You know, we yeah. could, we could we could keep it going, keep the good vibes flowing. I do. I encourage those in our Slack and and on Twitter to uh to drop your favorite what if to ponder. Um, because y'all have such hyper specific knowledge about your teams that that I clearly am just not not privy to. So I want to know what. What instance would have impacted the direct the direction of your franchise? Let us know.
1: Yes, please feel free to share your baseball what ifs. Maybe um, as part your of the butterfly meal. effects. You mean? Oh God! See, see, <laughs> see, see the the person the the Bobby who's writing the copy of the episodes. Whenever I do that on occasion, when when I'm writing it well ahead of time, and uh-huh. and I, I don't get your copy, or or just the Bobby who's thinking about podcast ideas in the future. is much better than the Bobby who's actually sitting down to record them in almost <laughs> all instances. Um yes, please please feel free to share your butterfly effects um about baseball or the the wider world, you know. I'll read your butterfly yeah, effects. Yeah, it doesn't about it doesn't have to anything. be about
2: baseball. Yeah.
1: Um we have another baseball butterfly effects episode queued up and ready to go for you coming up just shortly with Janice Scario, the the wonderful writer at many different places including uh sports illustrated baseball prospectus Southside Sox, nbc um we're really excited to hear what she has queued up for us um i'm also excited alex to hear what you have queued up for us but before we can do that i have to give a shout out to the new patrons from the last two weeks since uh last time we were recording so far ahead of time i, I wasn't able to shout those people out so thank you to jack lauren callum kyle and john do you want to, um, before the cold open here, Alex, before the cold open is done here, Alex, do you want to talk about what the fuck is going on with Carlos Correa at all? Or should we just, should we just pretend that that's not happening? I don't know. By the time people are listening to this, Carlos Correa could uh, have a 12-year, $315 million contract with the Dusan Bears. I don't know.
2: He might not and be I'd playing watch. third I'd base for the New
1: York Mets next year. Who knows? <laughs> Cashing in that good, good Dusan check? Oh, my God. I'm a, I'm just pretending that none of this ever happened because I was. I've been pretty offline for the last few days or so, mm-hmm. or week weekish since our last episode with Grant Brisby, mostly because of the holidays and because of travel and all of that sort of thing. So I'm not really following this Carlos Correa story at all.
2: <laughs> I'm into Look, not. There's not really anything to follow. Luckily, yeah. There's nothing to follow. We got the 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 news about the holdup like last week. Ken Rosenthal.
0: Lives Coming for through. the drama,
2: mm-hmm. loves the mess. Uh, are you aware of
1: the fact that Carlos Correa's last name is actually Oppenheimer? <laughs> I, that's actually I, true. That's not a I, joke. I, no, I know. I
2: I think I I think I learned that years ago, and then proceeded to wipe it from my brain just because I I couldn't really process that.
1: Carlos Javier Correa Oppenheimer Jr.
2: Carlos what's, Oppenheimer. What's what's going on there? <laughs> that's not a name you hear every day. No, it's not. You hear it in certain places.
1: <laughs> Do you? Like Christopher Nolan films? Like, like what is happening there? Is he going to be in the Christopher Nolan film Oppenheimer? Is it actually about him signing with the New York Mets? That's what Christopher <laughs> Nolan's 2023 blockbuster film Oppenheimer
2: is going to be about. The last two weeks of Carlos Correa's life. Uh, that certainly would be one bomb you could, you could drop <laughs> on New York
1: very powerful you know it's mm-hmm. very mm-hmm.
2: man will not understand it until he sees it in
1: action um okay <laughs> why don't we just bring in janice before this goes in a direction that neither of us nor the listeners want it to go in we're gonna do part two of baseball butterfly effects but before we do i am bobby wagner i'm alex Baisley. and you are listening to tipping pitches Baseball Butterfly Effects Part 2, which we are calling this now, even though I didn't call it that last week, but I thought of a better title and changed the title on everybody. So Baseball Butterfly Effects Part 2. We are lucky to be joined by Janice Scurio, White Sox writer, uh, multi-utility player at CHGO Sports. Janice, hello. Welcome to the show.
0: Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: It's so nice to have you here. So you're here as part of our baseball butterfly effects. We reached out to you and asked if you would want to participate in this big baseball's biggest. What ifs uh, alternate realities, alternate universes. If one thing changed, what would have resulted from that? So we posed this question to you and you were excited to jump all over it to share a White Sox related thing. But I think one that not a lot of people know that much about, but definitely checks a lot of tipping pitches boxes. So why don't you lay out your what if and then we can sort of Pry into it and dig a little bit deeper and find out how different the world would have been had this gone differently.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I'll start backwards. Uh, So when I was researching this topic, uh, this is something that has been in the back of my mind for forever. And uh, it happened uh, when I was very young. Uh, So it is something that I don't consciously remember. Uh, It's talked about a little bit in circles. uh, But for the most part, when I was doing my research, I went on eBay and I typed in the phrase Florida white Sox." And so what came up was a series of very ugly hats and shirts. Uh, so uh, that is probably my least favorite part of this what if, uh, is that uh, if, if this actually happened, we'd get just a barrage of very ugly merch.
1: Oh, God. I looked up the logo. It it really it's, is very ugly. So it's really bad.
0: <laughs> it's, it's absolutely terrible. I think uh, one of the hats is uh, a trucker hat, which, of course, you know, was the norm in the 1980s, uh, late 1980s. But uh, yeah, it's just Florida. And of course, two very creative graphic design. The letter F is in the shape of the state of Florida. Uh, uh, I know.
2: Clever. Uh,
0: I think uh, the, the rapper Flo Rida um, appropriated that as well for, <laughs> for his logo. So uh, good on him for doing that.
1: He's got some hits, um, though. You know, I was yeah. spinning right round in middle school.
0: I, a, as was I, as was everybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of this merchandise is just absolutely hideous. Uh, the colors, uh, it looks like it, uh, they were going to go with a green and orange motif, and I don't know. Um, I, I really don't want to offend any people who may be fans of sports teams who use green and orange, but it, it, it's. I'm sorry, it's ugly. It, it, it just does not go good together, uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, essentially what happened here uh, in 19, 1988, uh, there was a threat, and I and I call it a threat very loosely, that the Chicago White Sox were going to move to St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, but some last-minute legislating saved the team uh, from making that move. Uh, so no one at the time uh, properly called Jerry Reinsdorf's bluff. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, Jerry Reinsdorf is uh, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, uh, still is To this day, to the chagrin of many White Sox fans uh, who may be listening to this, Uh, but uh, yeah, in the in the nineteen eighties, to give you guys some background, uh, Tampa Bay was actually very desperate to bring the first major league baseball team to Florida. Uh, So the team or the the stadium that we now know as Tropicana Field was originally called the Florida Suncoast Dome, which is just a very it's probably <laughs> yeah. a bank,
1: honestly. Like, it's one of those things that I mean, sounds like it's not a bank, but Florida Suncoast Bank is probably a bank. You know, like Great American Ballpark.
2: Bank. Sounds like it's a not bank. a bank, but I mean, it's a bank. It's either that or or like a pop punk band. You know, Florida Suncoast, man. That's just like me and my friends, you know, just hanging out eating pizza.
0: So I, I think you guys are around my age, right? You're you're in your thirties, thirty-ish kind of. Uh, do you guys remember Suncoast Video, uh, the, the the store in the mall? I I just thought of this when we I was. Do,
1: I do not because we are actually in our mid twenties, oh,
0: so we're oh gosh, we're I'm a so little sorry. bit
1: behind. No, that's quite all right. <laughs> we we wear it poorly, so some people think we're in our in our thirties and forties other people think we're in our teens so cuts both ways
0: (laughs) I I was mainly going more off uh, wisdom rather than appearance Uh, I like
1: it that was a good good save nice
0: (laughs) thank you thank you Um, but uh, yeah I've Suncoast video uh, just a relic from the mall age of the late 80s early 90s uh, kind of along the same lines of you know uh, Sam Goody uh, trying to think of any stores that were kind of along the the lines Um, and this is completely just not making any sense to you that's totally fine (laughs) Um, But anyway, no.
2: This is this is crucial context, honestly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, Uh, but anyway, uh, Tropicana Field, originally the Florida Suncoast Dome, uh, was used in an attempt to entice the Chicago White Sox to relocate if a new ballpark was not built to replace the aging Comiskey Park, and so. The the Comiskey Park that we know uh, to this day uh, now has gone through several name facelifts. Now it's called Guaranteed Raid Field. Uh, Before then, it was called a U.S. Cellular Field. Uh, But its first name, uh, the new ballpark, uh, was a a new Comiskey Park. Uh, So old Comiskey Park was essentially right across the street from the new ballpark. Uh, It was just completely uh, dilapidated, Um, concrete was falling down, Uh, just it it was in shambles. It was very obvious that the White Sox needed uh, a new ballpark. So that was one of the reasons, uh, of course, too, in the late 1980s. Uh, The Cubs were more popular, uh, and that might hold true to this day, uh, but the main reason why the Cubs were more popular was definitely because of broadcasting rights. Uh, So Cubs games uh, were viewed for free on WGN, uh, which was a nationwide uh, channel, and that also explains why uh, there are plenty of Cubs fans around the country, uh, just mainly because uh, due to WGN. Uh, So in Tampa Bay, uh, the White Sox would have been able to make at least one million more in broadcast rights per year. And in 1988 dollars, that's quite a lot of money. Uh, So at the time, uh, only 34 percent of Chicagoans had cable TV, which I thought was uh, very interesting uh, and were able to watch the White Sox at home. Uh, So essentially the broadcasting deal uh, was one of the carrots uh, that uh, Tampa Bay was holding up to bring the White Sox uh, to Florida. Uh, So, yeah, uh, essentially, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf thought that this was very attractive uh, and uh, definitely uh, just started telling Illinois lawmakers, hey, look, if I do not get funds for this stadium, I am packing up and leaving the city of Chicago and leaving for more sunnier territories. So, so, yeah, that essentially was the landscape back in the late 1980s.
2: the more things change, the more they stay the exactly. same. Exactly. Like this, like, this story could be from yesterday, you know? Exactly. This story exactly.
1: is basically like if Las Vegas had already built a stadium and was trying to coax the A's to come there. Like, this is, like, it's so similar to... And it's, like, such a blueprint for how baseball owners and the league really operates. Because the league has to give sort of approval or, like, tacit approval to an or, to a franchise to threaten to leave a city, to leave a market to open a new market because that has to be approved by the rest of the owners. And so this, this comes with the full force of the league behind it. Um, Comiskey park, the original Comiskey park was built in 1910. So by 1988, it's 78 years old. And that's a, that's a rough 78 years. That's a two world wars, 78 (laughs) years in there. And so it's like, they definitely need a new park. Right. And, and of course, Jerry Reinsdorf, I mean, you can speak to this even more than us. Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't, want to pay for anything. He doesn't want to pay for the White Sox, he doesn't want to pay for the 1990s Chicago Bulls to stay together, let alone for the White Sox to build their own new stadium. And so I'm curious what you think aside from the obvious of the White Sox being in Florida. Like how much in the baseball world do you think is different? Obviously we don't get the Tampa Bay Rays. We don't get them as an expansion franchise. So there are so many different ways that this can go, but what do you think is the the biggest difference? In 2022
0: I think the biggest difference uh definitely uh, and I actually kind of did a a what if uh, like like what if uh, Reinsdorf wasn't bluffing uh what if uh Governor James Thompson uh, looked the other way and was like nah I'm, I am not giving you millions of dollars in public funds to uh, build a stadium mm-hmm. uh so uh essentially uh, I predicted that relocation would be back on the table for the Florida White Sox in 2022. Uh, I would predict that it pro- they would probably have the league's uh, one of the league's worst team attendance. Uh, even though, uh, yeah, may- maybe they would have made the postseason once or twice. Uh, just kind of gauging from what the Rays have done. Uh, so. With plans for a new park in Montreal kind of slipping through, a new contender would step up. So I would predict that perhaps, again, I'm kind of going along the lines of hey, let's use millions of dollars in public funds again. Uh yeah, uh, the White Sox rightfully returned to their home on the south side of Chicago at 35th and Shields in 2022 uh, with a new ballpark to be built across the street where the old stadium was 30 plus years ago. So the one thing that I also thought about is, all right, so if, say, the stadium was demolished, if the team moved, uh, what would uh, so what would be a good use case for the land? And of course, my the first thing I, that came to my mind are condos. Uh, it would probably just be nothing but condos uh, in that area. (laughs) Uh, So I actually do live in the neighborhood. I I live not too far away from the ballpark. Uh, So Bridgeport is the name of the neighborhood. Uh, It's, I, I wouldn't say it's entirely gentr- gentrified but it's it's definitely heading in that direction so uh we have seen a uh, condos kind of spring up within the last 10 years a lot of trendier restaurants uh, a lot of uh you know uh, people my age and younger moving in young professionals so uh yeah I would imagine that the neighborhood would probably still progress in that direction so yeah we'd probably see plenty of condos we definitely see maybe a lot of uh, mixed use case scenarios um perhaps uh, the urbanist nightmare of just having a bunch of condos with like a Chipotle down at the very bottom, probably yeah. something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I would predict that the White Sox would eventually move back to Chicago. I'm not exactly sure how or why, uh, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it would be something that I would like to see in my future simulation.
2: <laughs> I, loved it. I love that. I love you having built out like the the dominoes that that would fall. I mean, it'd be interesting because that would be kind of a you would think a moratorium on baseball in that part of Florida, right? The Major League Baseball is not going to move a team there, then move one out, and then cycle another one in, right? They would you would think that they would realize the writing on the wall um, and say this is this is not a place for baseball. So so even in that sense, now as Major League Baseball does kind of look at relocating teams or expanding teams whatnot um you probably have a couple teams in different spots around the country right i know north carolina was was kind of a popular option at the time um as well as the usual suspects but the the face of baseball looks very looks very different even if the white Sox end up back in chicago at the end of the day
0: yeah, absolutely, and I thought a lot about uh, the uh, the threat. I keep using that word because uh, it's, it's the first thing that comes to mind because uh, it's, it's it's very threatening. We're going to take your baseball team away if you don't give us money.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a shakedown. Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. It's a shakedown. Uh, I, I definitely thought a lot about the split plan uh, to for the race to split their home schedule between Florida and Montreal. Uh, and it's it's just kind of a, a terrible idea all around, considering uh, you've got the players who would have to consider um, moving their families between two cities, two countries, actually, which makes it even more difficult. And you're also dealing with different currencies. You're also dealing with a bunch of other uh, factors as well. Uh, so I thought about that. Um and uh yeah I'm actually kind of glad that owners rejected that proposal because it's, it's, it's just I don't know just logistically it just seems absolutely terrible. I mean as much as I would also just love to see a major league team return to Montreal. Um I I love that city and I I, I do miss the Expos. I I remember a sliver of what the Expos were like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah the, 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 this just was not it.
1: What do you think White Sox fandom looks like if they move to Florida, because I think a majority, if not most of the fans would probably not follow their fandom to Florida. I think that's, that's the case for a lot of teams. Now it's not it. Like if you use the NBA as an example, the Oklahoma city thunder were relocated from Seattle as the supersonics and the thunder just changed everything about their team. It was new ownership. It was, you know, a new team name A new logo it's basically a different franchise entirely though it it is considered the same like legal entity i suppose but for the white Sox, they were going to keep their name they were i imagine going to keep their same owner unless jerry reinsdorf was going to turn around and sell the team not that long after that and so which is a definite possibility and i wonder what you think about that too um, as to whether Jerry Reinsdorf would have kept the team or not after moving it to Florida or if he was, would have just used it as an opportunity to cash in. But do you think that they would have, like, for yourself, would you have remained a White Sox fan?
0: Uh, th- this is a question that has been posed to White Sox Twitter several times, actually. Uh, and that's a pretty great question. I think it all depends on where they go really. Uh, so I, I think probably my first knee jerk reaction would probably to just support the closest, or at least the, the physically closest team to me. Uh, and for me, I mean, the Cubs are definitely not going to be an option. So uh, the Milwaukee Brewers would, would, would definitely be, uh, they, they, they would win my loyalties.
2: It's 2022 the White sox are still in Chicago and obviously they're still kind of teetering on this. Are they a big market team? are they are they not right? It kind of depends on the flavor of the day for Jerry. Um, but but that does change significantly if they move to Tampa Bay, right where we know that the the market is very is very different. It's hard. To build a baseball team that people actually want to come see there, at least in St. Petersburg. And so there does feel like a very real possibility that they move to Florida. Things don't go as planned. And Jerry Reinsdorf decides decides to cash out, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, one impo- really one really interesting thing uh, that I came across during my research is that um, uh, a lot of people think that uh, it was uh, certainly just a bluff. And so I pulled up this article uh, from Cigar Aficionado. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jerry Reinsdorf did an interview with Cigar Aficionado back oh in
1: 1990. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, yeah. Amazing.
0: <laughs> and he said this. Uh, a savvy negotiator creates leverage. People had to think we were going to leave Chicago.
2: <laughs> nice. Uh. See,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> I, I. This is why I really like this hypothetical, because it allows you a very clear and obvious window into the mindset of an owner. Like, if you think about it from the outside, why would Jerry Reinsdorf take the Chicago White Sox, a storied franchise that has such strong ties to the South side of Chicago and a loyal and vibrant fan base that has stuck with the team throughout all of the bullshit that he has been a large part in putting them through and move them to Florida where it's just a complete unknown unless he like cared a lot about the team, which is up for debate sort of. And then therefore he would not really be able to sell the team in Florida too. Cause you don't really know how much that team is worth. If you move it right after that, Because you don't have a built-in fan base, like you're not sure what the long-term prospects of a team in Florida are going to look like. Like Florida was, I think, much more ripe for an expansion team, which is why it got two expansion teams in the Marlins and the Rays, and versus moving a team there, um, especially with an owner who's not motivated to like stick it out for the long haul. So, I I don't know. I like I I remain so skeptical of all of these different owners who say oh, well, we might up and move the team to Las Vegas or like we might move the team to wherever Montreal or wherever these other cities that want a team so bad because it seems really hard. Like it seems like hard work, you know, and most of these owners don't really want to put in hard work, partic- like especially <laughs> someone like John Fisher with the A's or Jerry Reinsdorf with the White Sox. Like he has not wanted to put in the work to make it a sustainable no. winner and, you know, Uh, model franchise, so to speak.
0: He absolutely was not willing to put any of the work in and definitely was not willing to put in uh, any of the money, too. Uh, So I do want to talk a little bit about uh, James Thompson. Uh, so he was the Illinois governor at the time. Uh, so uh, how he managed to pull this through. So uh, June 30th, 1988, that was the last day of the legislative session. Uh, so essentially, uh, he got enough votes uh, for the General Assembly to approve uh, this tax subsidized $167 million uh, sock Stadium. Uh, and the bill passed uh, at 12.03 a.m., <laughs> So uh what's funny here is that uh 3 minutes later uh there was or th- 3 minutes earlier uh, there was a Florida TV uh station saying that uh hey that that's it the Sox are going to Florida uh so everyone in St. Petersburg thought that the deal was done uh and set in stone uh but that wasn't the case. Um, uh, James Thompson came through uh, like like literally with the buzzer beater and uh, approved the funds. So, yeah, that is the, the short story of how Jerry Reinsdorf got one hundred and sixty seven million dollars in public funds uh, to uh, to get the White Sox a new stadium. And so uh I think about this a lot in the sense that all right so public funds were used to build the stadium uh, but the way the stadium operates to this day uh, kind of makes me a little ill in the sense that uh, so guaranteed rate field uh, is one of the only major league ballparks uh, if, if you hold a ticket for the 500 level uh, you cannot go to other areas of the ballpark so essentially if you uh, if if you if, if you're in the cheap seats Uh, you're a peasant that stays up there the entire game. There is no roaming. You cannot go down to the 100 level. Uh, A lot of the fan experiences that they came out with in the past, like five, 10 years, inaccessible to people who buy tickets for the 500 level. And so, I don't know. It it seems a little uh, ass backwards when you think that, yeah, in a stadium that that was built with public funds, uh, say uh, White Sox fans are very working class for the most part. Um, that's a, that's a generalization, but it, it is true. Uh, White Sox fans are meant to be, or at least they have a reputation for being very blue collar, kind of working class, uh, you know, kind of like the, 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 every man or every person, I guess I should say. Uh, and yeah, uh, if you buy a ticket for that 500 level, you can't go down. It's, it's complete bullshit.
2: I completely didn't <laughs> know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me either.
1: Um doesn't it just make sense, though, with, like, all the other stuff that this ownership group does? Like, doesn't it just make sense that they would have that policy? I, okay, I'm thinking about any silver lining that we could have to the Florida White Sox. And here's what I'm coming up with. Here's the only thing I'm coming up with. Uh, we don't have the Rays. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Therefore, we don't have to deal with... Every couple months, a discourse cycle about how the Rays are actually the best run team in baseball and how spending only $80 million on payroll is actually a good thing and never extending guys and never paying guys what they're worth in free agency is actually the only way to build a team. That's uh, that's the only silver lining I can come up with, guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and of course, too, uh, if if you trade with the Rays, uh, th- 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 there is something that is afoot. That th- there is always something afoot. That if you make a trade with the Rays, the ra- th- the Rays uh, have something just right underneath, just the the surface there. That that they are plotting. Uh, so yeah, that th- that is the silver lining there that we no longer have to deal with that insidiousness. I <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I'm i curious who then becomes the Rays, right? Because it's not like the people who would go to the Rays then just disappear from baseball, right? Eric Neander ends up somewhere else. Haim Bloom ends up somewhere else.
0: Hmm. Yeah, th- th- that is a really great question. I, I feel as if uh, someone will have to fulfill that role, uh, that someone will have to uh, be the Rays. Uh, it- it's not going to be the White Sox. Um <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like, do like do the Marlins, that ultimate wow. expansion team, become the Tampa Bay Rays? Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, our, our, I think our,
0: maybe we, it's the Diamondbacks, perhaps? The Diamondbacks, um, the,
1: yeah. Here's, here's a thought. The Rockies. The Rockies are the new Rays.
0: <laughs> oh, my. I...
1: <laughs> We've moved into nightmare territory. Can you imagine the Rockies with the Rays brain trust, with the built-in advantage of playing your games at home in, in quarters? Like being able to use that in building a good team around it. Wow. I love it. I love the concept. Um, yeah.
0: My gosh. Yeah. You, you need to reset the simulation here.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> we've reached our peak in in butterfly effects. So Janice, thank you so much. That was, that was excellent. Now, Alex, I'm going to turn it over to you to share your baseball butterfly effect with
2: us. I'm glad because mine uh, ties in relatively neatly with a lot of the stuff that we were just uh we were just talking about and it actually has implications on teams like the uh the Marlins and the Diamondbacks and the Expos uh and beyond and that was major league baseball's uh proposal and near plan to contract the Expos and the Twins in 2001 yeah. um this is i because it didn't happen i feel like it gets kind of overlooked but it was it could have ended up being one of the most pivotal kind of moments in baseball history i can't believe we don't talk about this more honestly I know.
1: given what the subject matter of our show
2: right so i mean just a little bit of background right it's it's 2001 the twins and the expos are are kind of in dire straits their payrolls are ranking uh near the bottom of the league consistently and their teams aren't performing very well and uh the 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 twins the metrodome is just a mess as far as the expos go jeffrey loria is trying to get out no teams are coming the no fans are coming to the games the stadium is a mess the local government doesn't give a shit like it's it's bad news over there and bud selig and the rest of the owners say the league is in really bad economic conditions right now these two teams are facing the worst of it we can't have teams that are that are running out um payrolls like that every day that's just it's anti-competitive we can't have that we got to get rid of them and the owners actually vote to do it 28 to 2 on november 6th uh 2001 obviously the two uh dissenting teams were the expos and the twins uh, which doesn't really count. Um, honestly, honestly, though, there
1: are some owners in baseball today who I think would vote yes to being contracted like oh, if they were going to get a payout for it.
2: No, both the uh, both Jim Polad and Jeffrey Loria were probably the two biggest boosters for this because they were each going to get about a quarter of a billion dollars for their troubles. So, like, they would have been they would have been uh, good. Uh, this ends up not happening because uh there's there's like a Minnesota like sports stadium commission whatever that says the twins you have another year left on your lease you have to play it out a a local judge issues a um a temporary restraining order basically and says the twins do have to complete their their lease here at the at the Metrodome and by that time which is like in late 2002 that that gets all wrapped up Uh, There's a new CBA in place. The owners have agreed they're not going to try and contract any teams, at least for the next few years. And the idea is dead in the water. But it kind of belies how close this actually came to happening, which is to say really, really close. And the implications would have been really, really far reaching. So it would have been, let's contract the Expos and Twins. Move the Arizona Diamondbacks, who just won the World Series, to the AL West. Move the Rangers from the AL West to the AL Central. Move the Pirates from the NL Central to the NL East. I hope you guys are keeping track of all this. It's very oh straightforward. Yeah. Pirates, <laughs> Pirates in the NL East. That's 17 yeah. guaranteed wins for the Mets every year. I like <laughs> Jeffrey Loria would have still taken over the Marlins from incumbent owner John Henry. He would have been able to take a few players with him, like, say, Vladimir Guerrero. John Henry would have assumed ownership over the Angels and taken a similar number of players with him.
1: Oh, that's the one that really just broke my brain, (laughs) right? This is a lot.
0: (laughs) I've got like the a beautiful mind board, like like exactly. Like (laughs) Like
2: thinking about so there's no John Henry Red Sox, right? right? Vladimir Guerrero is maybe goes down in history as a Miami Marlin. I love that. I there's no. Uh, he feels kind of Marlins-esque, to be honest. He he, he does. Honestly, he has. A, I mean, I feel like the Expos and Marlins, kind of kind of uh, soul sisters. There. Um, things look very different. I'm I'm curious to hear your guys' sort of knee-jerk reactions to what would have been a very simple uh, simple transition period back in 2001.
0: I, I think the, the the whole realignment of the divisions is is probably like. One of the things that I'm just thinking would definitely affect present day baseball and just how we view it and how we think of it. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm honestly just thinking more about the Diamondbacks in the in the AL West. Like 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 what the hell?
1: Yeah, <laughs> they do feel like a very NL team. Um, they do.
0: They absolutely do.
1: I I don't want to like overstate things here, but I think that this is like the biggest baseball what if in the last 30 years because i i guess i guess maybe what if the strike didn't happen is bigger than this but like that that's like 30 what ifs rolled into one (laughs) that almost feels like cheating (laughs) like what if we just made the strike go away doesn't that's 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 sort of like a uh deus ex machina kind of like it's not really interesting for conversation i think this is really interesting because if you take two teams away I feel like that kills your league. Like, I feel like MLB does not recover from that. Certainly not in the way that we saw them recover by keeping the team. So 2002, it's a weird time for the league. It's post steroid boom and post people finding out about the rumors about steroids. So there, those are like starting to really creep in. Like late nineties is when people are like, Oh, okay. Everybody's hitting a bunch of home runs, home run chases. No one's talking about steroids, and then as we roll into the the two thousands, early two thousands, we have lowering viewership numbers still carrying over from the strike in some places, and we don't we don't have teams diversifying income streams in the same way that we do in the in the late two thousands and particularly in the twenty tens and into the the twenty twenties, and so if you contract two teams i almost feel like baseball is a is a it's not ruined as a commodity in the united states but it's certainly devalued as a commodity in the in the united states we don't get like the same uh increase in team franchise values we don't get the same uh desire to own these teams as an asset and maybe that is ultimately good in the long run for the sport if we have like a reckoning about what the financial state of baseball is in 2002 like a serious hard reckoning we hit the rock bottom of what this situation is but most of the time when we have like financial reckonings in the united states it doesn't result in good things it just results in somehow rich people getting richer and so i don't i think that like the league is completely different if we look back on it now we don't have like the financial health in smaller markets, which I think is honestly better for the game.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this, you're right that like this very much was a, a labor issue as much as a baseball issue, right? The the league was contending with uh, waning attendance uh, stemming from the 94 strike. They claimed that revenues were in the toilet. Although as it turned out, uh, Bud Selig was not being entirely truthful about that. (gasps) It's new. No, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, but, but there was the expectation that the players were not going to let this happen without a fight, right? The owners wanted some sort of leverage over the players after the strike had kind of given them more power. And so they said, we're going to force them to the table by basically eliminating 50 jobs and bringing it along with steroid testing and increased revenue sharing, and uh, and the luxury tax, and all these sorts of things. And there was a real political risk for them because you thought one work stoppage was bad. Try a second in within the same decade. Like the sport very well, m- maybe doesn't recover from that, right? And and I think that no, neither side really wanted it to get that far. But they kind of got really lucky they didn't have to make that call. And it was just a a Minnesota judge who kind of said, yeah, you guys got to stay here for the next year. And by that time, they'd figured out a a solution. But it's interesting to think about if it hadn't gotten to that point, I really do wonder kind of what the state of baseball even is in 2022, if it exists kind of at
0: all. I I think it's absolutely wild that it just took a judge to say, nah. And yeah. it just completely kind of changed the course of of baseball history. Um, that's yeah, that 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 is wild to me because uh, it, it just seems so inconsequential and so small, right? Uh, right. And then you you see that oh no, it is a decision that has a lot of just like drastic impact.
2: Yeah, that's that's <laughs> Hennepin County Judge Harry Seymour Crump to you all. Uh, they... Remember remember the name. Harry C
1: new shipping pitches logo with Harry Seymour Crump's face instead of that's right. Instead getting of my, my custom Jersey made right the now. likeness of Ricky Henderson, maybe inspired by Ricky Henderson. Um, I, God, this is so interesting because so four years later, the, the twins get a new ballpark. Um, and that's part of their sort of revitalization. Right. And they, the, the new ballpark costs just a little bit over half a billion dollars. The Twins only contribute $135 of their own money to that. So this is basically like 80% funded by public funds. And I do feel like that drastic threat and that much of a show about markets not being able to support baseball teams, which is this sort of nebulous concept, like what does it mean for a market to be able to support a baseball team? There are small markets that thrive and there are big markets that are not as successful in terms of getting people to actually come out to baseball games, big markets in terms of like the amount of people who live in a place. And it does feel like the beginning of a game plan for ownership in terms of how to leverage their importance in the community into direct financial benefit. And so, you know, to tie it back to your point, Janice, to tie it back to your butterfly effect, this is like, the logical outcome of the Reinsdorf threat in the late 1980s is, what's one step further than this? We'll just take the team away entirely. There won't even be a team anymore. And so it, they <laughs> yeah. feel very of a piece. And I, we didn't even know that Alex was going to choose this. So it's funny that they tie right. together in this yeah, way. So.
0: It, it seems very punitive. It, it, it's just sort of like, uh, I, I don't know. It, it just It's like when you're talking to your dog and and you're, you're, the dog is not like, behaving and you're and you're just like well i'm just gonna take this toy away right <laughs> like not now you're never going to have a toy how do you feel about that i don't know it, it just seems <laughs> like the way the owners like treat these markets it's, it's just sort of like oh well you just have to appreciate what you have then
2: <laughs> yeah well i love the idea that it's also the cities that get punished right the owner's Are sitting pretty they get to cash out and make a return on their investment even though they ran a business into the ground you still get that 250 million dollar check and the city is left with jack shit let's um let's make this
1: about ourselves real quick alex Mm -hmm. what would doing a podcast in the 2000s been what would doing a podcast about baseball ownership and the financial structure of the game have been like in the 2000s It was shit. Was popping off left and right. It was like, all right, John Henry just sold the Marlins. Now John Henry's buying the Red Sox. Now we're getting rid of the fucking Twins. Goodbye Twins. Now we're getting rid of the Expos. Oh, now Jerry Reinsler wants to move the team. He needs a new. He needs a new stadium. He's got to move the team. Like I don't. We don't have that much instability in baseball anymore. All things considered, baseball ownership is in a relatively stable place if you place it in the context of its history. And Mm -hmm. I think that's weird too because, this not contracting the league almost like set baseball ownership up to be more stable because if they had contracted the league,
2: I don't know. I feel like
1: anything's on the table.
2: Yeah, no, totally. Um, Also, I feel like if we are doing that, this in the early two thousands, there are far more people telling us to just shut the fuck up and watch Barry bonds, (laughs) like, which would be a fair criticism if we're being quite honest. Um, No, we could have been trailblazers (laughs) that nobody listened to, but we were trailblazers. The thing, I you, you mentioned making it about ourselves, so I'll make it about myself. If, uh, if the Diamondbacks move to the AL West, and if John Henry takes over the Angels and brings over some of his successful players from Marlins, I don't think there's a Moneyball A's because they have, wow. to con- they have to contend with the defending world champions at this point, a slightly strengthened uh, Angels team. And things look maybe very, very different. If Moneyball, if that 2002 team does not go on its sort of historic run, does Moneyball the book get written? Ooh. does does the idea of moneyball proliferate sort of in the way it it has i mean obviously these ideas were around far before the book was actually written bill james was already established and these ideas were already taken hold but yeah. but the as i feel like gave like a shape and like a voice to it that that i don't know would have existed otherwise
0: hmm that's uh my goodness oof
2: is that our did we that's just find, the proper response to that, I think.
1: Did we just find our silver lining that we that Bill James is not on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> if we get rid of the twins, then Bill James never makes a Twitter account.
0: I I feel as if that's a fair sacrifice. But I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Incredible lack of content.
1: Sorry. <laughs> um anything else to say on the twins almost being contracted? You know, the last thing I'll say, uh sorry, the twins and the expos. I don't want to short shrift the expos. It's just that they don't exist anymore. So it's yeah, like I know. Mm.
2: Yeah. Um uh the last thing I'll say because because uh uh we mentioned the Ra- the Colorado Rockies potentially being the Rays in uh in Janice's scenario. And I will note that uh at the time of this proposal, Rockies chair, Jerry McMorris, said I just didn't understand why we continued to spread the money to places that continuously showed they don't have the type of support you need for baseball to survive, which is a very rich thing for someone who runs the Colorado Rockies <laughs> to say. <laughs> you know, for as much as we clown on
1: the Rockies, they actually get people to come to games. They like do. they are yeah. always at the top of the league in attendance every year and they're like one of the franchises that was that they're one of the franchises that Relies on cable deals less than other franchises, so maybe they're maybe they're doing something right. Maybe we yeah. could afford to have a few more Rockies out there in the
2: world. Turns out, all you need is a is a stadium um, in the middle of the wilderness that looks out onto the mountains. Yeah, well, it's, not in the, it's, in, it's in downtown Denver. It's in a <laughs> it's a real city.
1: Uh, okay, Janice Scurio, thank you so much for joining us for our part two of baseball butterfly effects. Can you please let the listeners of the Tipping Pitches podcast know where they can follow you, find your work, uh, get more of you in their life.
0: Absolutely. If you decide to go down that route, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Scuriosa, spelled S-C-U-R-I-I-O-S-A. I'm realizing now that it's, Perhaps one of the most inaccessible Twitter handles. Uh, it, it, it is a just a, a vast bastardization of my last name. <laughs> uh, a lot of people think my last name is Scuriosa. It, it is not. Um,
1: <laughs> yes, Alex and I, I've, I, I thought I've, that yeah. all the way up until double checking before the pod um, and, and seeing your LinkedIn. But I'm glad yes. that I didn't mess that up.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and I mean, like, I, I already have a like just a, a large d- digital footprint, but like, str- str- strangely enough, it is my Twitter handle that is somehow causing uh, th- th- this barrier, and I don't know why I'm talking about. I, I did it to myself, so uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll workshop a better Twitter 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 handle in the future, but anyway, uh, yeah, you can find uh, me and all my work there. Um, I currently uh, drop in the CHGO White Sox pod from time to time, uh, basically just dishing. Out all of my hot Leary Garcia takes. uh So catch me on there,
2: Janice Carrillo. We had a blast. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. Very honored to uh, have it. Have graced t- tipping pitches. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: Thank you, to Janice. Thank you, to everybody, for listening. Thank you to you, Alex, for sharing your baseball butterfly effect, which. At time of recording this outro, I don't know what it is yet because <laughs> <That's laughs> we're, we're recording this outro over. <laughs> before we record the actual podcast and um, you're live revealing it to me on the podcast. So now that we've sufficiently confused everybody with the timeline of how this podcast was recorded, ourselves and, included, and we made Christopher Nolan jokes to start the podcast out, I think everybody's in the right headspace to just end the podcast in a daze. You mean like the, the, this episode or, or period? Like this was it? Well, I told you that I was gonna continue to make the joke this is our last episode. Right. To see if people enjoyed that bit. But like a week later now, I don't even think it's a good bit. It's not even good enough to keep going, you know? It's not even good as Joe Ground Ball to Joe Panic. That bit.
2: Yeah, I don't I mean, we've seen how um the A's doing the same thing to their fans like every couple of years for two decades has has turned out. Uh so we could head down that path. Oh my God! I just don't know A's. how it would turn out for us. We didn't even talk about
1: Liberty Media. We
2: didn't even talk about the Braves extending
1: Sean Murphy for under market value. We didn't was, even make fun of all of the writers saying, "Oh, I'd rather have Sean Murphy at this price than JT Realmuto." So
2: much unmined content. I just that's that's what the holidays are for. We need time off from this, right? I just. It was I, I. was actually on a plane when the when the Sean Murphy news broke. So I so I got all the alerts when I when I got off, which was such a blessing to just avoid Braves discourse for like six hours. Well, well it's still going. So if you want to tune back in and
1: get your fill, <laughs> now's the time. There's no time <laughs> like the present. That's true. It's it's on your local channel every night at 7 p.m. <laughs> Murder and carjacking in the city. Braves extend young star for under market value. More at 11. Uh, Should we wrap this up and get out of here? Yes, let's do that. Thank you to thank you to everybody who has signed up for the Patreon. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, Thank you to everybody for all the wonderful support in 2022. This is our first episode of 2023, which I hope is an exciting year full of twists and turns. All of which are good for us. None of which are bad for us. That is what,
2: that's what I hope as we head into the new year. Once again, I'm I'm just hoping for a collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> that's my that's my one New Year's wish. Do you think like after a full year you can start like a campaign? You know, like you can
1: start a change.org petition. One year removed from the, the tentative agreement
2: to the CBA. <laughs> we need to demand accountability. Something tells me that wouldn't really pick up much uh much traction these days. I right. feel like once the CBA was negotiated, fans were like, okay. Cool. I, I now don't have to think about that again for five years, which is which is fair. That's a fair reaction to that. I but anyway, you you and I would be able to add our add our names. More people should put CBAs
1: on their reading lists. Like here's all the books that I here's my favorite books
2: from 2022.
1: The Major League Baseball Major CBA
2: League Baseball, CBA. <laughs> wow, you sound fun at parties. <laughs> I am fun at parties. Please invite me to your party. I'll have a great time. It's like, it's the, it's the meme where the guy's standing in the corner, right? Like they don't know that, uh, I read the entire MLB, PA, CBA. Exactly. That owners are exploiting the players to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> they don't know that the CBT could have been so much higher. Right. Everyone else is like, no, we know. We just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. If us. there's Sorry, one thing care.
1: that I actually don't talk about at parties, it's baseball. Cause I'm not at parties where people know anything about baseball. I am more often at parties where people are like, ha-ha, you like baseball? Weird. (laughs) Alex and I are not, like, crushing it with the lefty baseball Brooklyn
2: community, you know? Most of our friends don't know anything about baseball. I know. Well, and now we lost the one storyline that, like, kind of broke through to the wider public, right? People are like, oh, contract? And you could be like, no, not yet. And now... I think the Mets can break
1: through to the wider public. I have faith. I have faith in people thinking critically about
2: Steve Cohen (laughs) Uh, all led by Carlos Correa call that the Queens project exactly Uh, thank
1: you everybody for listening we will be back next week hello
0: everybody
1: Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez (laughs) tipping pitches Tipping pitches.
2: This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week.
0: See ya!